Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Father, we look to you as our solution, as our hope for temporal problems, for long-standing issues in our nation, for the purposes that you have for the end times and the the church to operate as a beacon, as a light, as a trumpet in the midst of dark times. We look to you and we ask you, God, tonight that your grace would rest on us as we study the word of God and we jump into Revelation, that you would use these nights to lead us and give us greater clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if we could turn those lights back up a little bit, the ones that, the stage lights, maybe not all the way, but just give me a little bit. That'd be awesome. <clears throat> really appreciate that. Well, tonight we're in our series, the book of Revelation, and uh, this is uh, session 73, if you can believe that, overview of the 144,000. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about a subject that maybe some of you are like, I think I've heard of that once before. Uh, In this series, our objective is to, uh, you know, dive into what the book of Revelation has to say, one theme at a time. And so uh, tonight is a a perfect example of why we're doing a themed study instead of just simply a verse-by-verse study. Because tonight as we look at this subject of the 144,000, there are two primary passages in the book of Revelation that are about the 144,000, and they're seven chapters apart. And so, and, and there's half the information is in chapter seven and half the information is in chapter 14. And if you're only looking at one of those passages, you are not understanding what in the world is going on with the 144,000. But if you look at both, <coughs> which again is going to be our, uh, our point tonight, if you look at both, uh, then you've got, uh, more of the picture, uh, that the Lord's wanting us to see. So we're going to do an overview tonight. Uh, I think that the ideas that we're going to introduce tonight, I think, are ones that you're going to want in the discussion time to, you know, kind of hash out a little bit more. And I would encourage you, especially if this is a new subject, which a lot of them that we're looking at in the book of Revelation study are new subjects to us, just because even if you've read the book of Revelation, you maybe didn't stop and really think about that one phrase, that one word, that one verse. And what we're doing in this study is we're spending some time looking at those themes. And so tonight, if this is a subject that's kind of new, I want to encourage you to read over these passages in your own time and really uh, look at what's being communicated here because this is actually a significant amount of information about this uh, group of people that you may may hear referred to as the 144,000. It doesn't actually say the word the 144. It just says there were a 144,000 and this is blah, blah, blah. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in to talking about this group tonight from these two passages. And the best way I know to start is to read them. So we're going to read chapter 7, 4 through 8 and chapter 14, 1 through 5. And away we go. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. 
From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Skipping down to Revelation 14, 1 through 5. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those that did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and were offered as first fruits to God and to the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So let's look at some things that we can learn about these uh, 144,000 in these uh, passages here. First of all, they're Jews. There's no question. It's not symbolic. They are Jews. We're told how many Jews from what tribes exactly. They are for sure 100% Jewish human beings, okay? Second thing, with meticulous detail, we're told the precise number. So there's not 144,000 and six more extras. There's not 132,000. There's not some nebulous number. We are told exactly how many humans we're talking about here. 144,000, and if you had any question, it then breaks it down. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. 12 times 12 is 144,000. There are 144,000 Jews that we're talking about in a future state. This gets really intriguing in my mind from the following standpoint. There are a lot of human beings on the earth right now that don't know they're Jewish. And if they do know they're Jewish, likely they don't know what tribe they are. But this makes it really clear. We are talking about 12,000 from Judah, and there's not going to be any guesswork, and there won't be one person in that camp that was accidentally from a different tribe. Then there's 12,000 from Zebulun, 12,000 from Naphtali. There's 12,000 from each tribe. This is exacting detail about specific Jews in the end times. This is... This is fascinating. We are talking about a very specific group that are linked together 12,000 at a time from each of these tribes that again, right now in modern day, you got a lot of people that don't know their tribal history and lineage. Now technology can help with that. I'm sure that'll be part of it. The Lord's, you know, defining and all the different ways that he'll interact. But I just want to make it really clear. There is no question who this group of people is. It's 144,000 Jews, 12 from each tribe, 12,000 from each tribe. Next, top of page two. Let's go to part D. They are Jews that will be alive in the end times. This is not a past group of Jews. It's not a you know, historical frame of reference. It's not a symbolic group of Jews. It doesn't mean, you know, Jews in the end times. It's like a sampling. No, this is a very specific 
group of Jews. Just like there's not 32 witnesses, there's two witnesses. How do we know there's two witnesses? Because it says two. Two witnesses. How many Jews? 144,000. Are you sure? Yes. Why? It says it. It's real simple. 144,000 Jews in the end times. In the end times. This is a, a really interesting point because if we're right about the timing of things and we really are living in the last generation, and again, I'm not a date picker. I don't know. Do we have 10 years or 50 years left? I don't know. But we don't have 100 anymore. Because the signs of the times have made it clear we don't have 100 anymore. Because the signs of the times, Jesus said, when you see these things, you know you're in the generation that will see the fullness of them. Well, a generation can be anywhere between 20 years and 100 years, but it's not 500 years. And it's also not two. So if we're right, though, about the timing of living in the, the final generation, and we're in that time period, and we've got decades left, again, I don't know how many decades these Jews might be alive right now, or if they're not, they might be getting born while we're having this meeting. I mean, we're talking about Jews that have never been alive before, that are either alive now or about to be alive, that have been prophesied about from the time that John had this vision in, call it, you know, AD 90, somewhere around there. This is remarkable. This is a, a really interesting detail that we're talking about future Jews alive in the end time with an end time calling. They're not just alive. They're not just, oh, wow, you guys happen to be alive right when the Antichrist was here and Jesus was coming back. It's not an accidental thing. They have destiny. This 144,000 Jews has destiny, <coughs> has purpose. They have an end time calling. They have purpose and partnership with the Lord's purposes for the final generation. These are 144,000 that will walk with Jesus. They're a specific group for a particular end time calling. And just as a little point of reference, the end times, the, the drama that we're looking at, have been looking at for however long, long in this series, it's pretty intense. It's an intense hour of history. It's an intense time to be called to do something for Jesus. It's an intense time to have a, a minister, uh, ministry assignment. These 144,000, they have a ministry assignment with Jesus in the last generation in the most intense time of human history. And they're known by God. I just, I think about this point sometimes. Whenever, whenever the word kind of jumps out and highlights how God knows a person. Doesn't just know they exist, but knows when they'll exist, who they are, what their identity is, what they'll be like, what their calling is. This 144,000, they're not nebulous to God. They are known. They are known by the infinite God. They have purpose and, and destiny. God knows these 144,000. You know, if John would have uh, not had so much going on the day that he got this revelation, of course he had quite a bit, if John could have dialed in a little bit more, John could have gotten every single name because God has them. God shared just a little whisper of the detail, but God knows all 144,000. There's no question who they are. God knows. Now we don't, but God does. All right, next, the 144,000, this is a detail that you're unfamiliar with. They give their lives to Jesus during the Great Tribulation. 
or well, during the tribulation is what it says. They give their lives to Jesus during the tribulation period. Now that's a very interesting detail, but let's let's look at it. Now we spent a, a session talking about the great multitude that's before the throne in Revelation chapter seven. Well, if you didn't do the math here, Revelation chapter seven and the great multitude. It's the very next verses. I mean, it's the very next verse after the discussion about the 144,000, okay? It goes right into who is this great multitude. Well, I just want to read that passage one more time. Revelation 7, 9 through 14, top of page 3. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Okay, who are they? From every nation, which includes Jews, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Well, who are they? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, and they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are those that have given their lives to Jesus in the context of the great tribulation, and they've come up out of it. These are those that have given their lives to the Lord, but... Again, this passage immediately follows the 144,000 uh, in Revelation chapter 7. And let me just make that point clear again. We did it when we studied the great multitude, but here's why. The Lord wants to highlight the certainty that this great multitude includes two groups. The certainty that it includes Jews. How many Jews? 144,000, 12 from each tribe. But the certainty that it includes people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. It's the same group. It's the same multitude, but the Lord is highlighting two aspects. He says, Jews, yes. Gentiles, yes. For sure, both are part of this. So when we're talking about that great multitude, it's important that you see that detail. All right. I just, this is just my little commentary. I just imagine John is so excited that the gospel worked. You know, when he sees this great multitude, he's like, ah! 144,000 Jews in there. Yeah. He goes, oh, there's, what are they? I'd never heard of that group before. Like, wow, those, those are, they look different than us. Wow, they sound different. I just imagine John, this is just my thought process, but you know I'm right, right? John is just so excited to be witnessing this great multitude at the end of the age and he's like, oh my gosh, the gospel actually worked. It got out there. People got saved from all over the stink. People from every tribe, language. I just imagine him writing every tribe, language, people, and nation. I just imagine the, the emphasis there as he's writing it because he's so excited that this thing that he's given his life for, the cause of Jesus, it worked. I just imagine that. So again, that's just me. They're Jews that come to Christ. Seven, uh, Revelation 7, verse 3, and then Revelation 14, verse 1. Do not harm the land or the sea. Now, again, these are verses we've already read. I'm just highlighting them again. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal uh, on the forehead of the servants of our God. Well, this is right in the context of the passage of these 144,000. It says the 144,000 who were sealed. Okay, so it's this, it's this right here. But they're, they're called the servants of God. See, they're, they're believers in Jesus. Well, you go, well, I don't know. Maybe they're just Jewish and they're not believers in Jesus. Well, they sure are standing with him here in a minute. 
Revelation 14, 1, then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. This 144,000, they give their lives to Jesus. They belong to Jesus, to the lamb. They are with him. They are sealed by God. That idea of sealing, you know, we spent a, a whole session talking about the seal of God and what does that mean and <clears throat> what does it look like when they're sealed? What happens to them? What doesn't happen to them? We just need to make sure that we understand that concept of the seal of God. It absolutely applies to this group of 144,000 Jews from all the different tribes. They are sealed. They are a part of the sealing of God. Well, what does that seal do? What does that mean for them? A lot, but in the immediate uh, uh, contextual um, ramifications, it means they don't get slapped around by the first four judgments. They, the judgments of, uh, that affect the land and the sea and the trees, those first uh, uh, four, they don't get impacted by those things. The seal of God protects them by those. We spent a whole session or two talking about that, so I'm not going to rehash it. I just want us to understand, God is taking care of these 144,000. They've got a destiny. They can't die by some plague or disease or problem or something. They just can't. They're not allowed to die that way, even if they want to. They are not allowed. They are sealed and protected in these days because they've got a destiny. They've got a calling. God has purpose for this 144,000, and nothing will happen to them that is outside of his permission and plan. And he's made it really clear. These 144,000, they're sealed. And all the things that sealed means means these bad things won't touch them. Next, let's look at some interesting aspects about their calling, top of page four. Now, some of this is gonna be a little bit of a, a re-cap uh, of some of the things I've said, but I'll highlight them a little bit differently. One thing I wanna point out is, this 144,000, they're forerunners, for sure. They are forerunner messengers at the end of the age. They are Jewish forerunners, okay? These guys are holding the line. Now, just think about it. They've been sealed. They're in Christ. They're, they've got their own little special group identified in the Bible. The Bible doesn't identify a lot of special little groups. Some. I mean, when it talks about generations, it doesn't normally talk about generations and then subdivide that generation into groups that you could count and, like, all fit in a stadium or something. Okay? He's like, no, nah, no, nah, this is 144,000. These guys are special. I got special purpose for them. They're sealed. They're mine. They're coming up out of the great tribulation. I've got special purpose. I just want to make us understand they are forerunners. Think about this passage um, that we're familiar with. Uh, Revel oh, no, that should be Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. It says Revelation 12, 3. That's incorrect. It should be Daniel 12, 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is one of those primary forerunner passages that we've looked at in the past. This is absolutely going to be true of these 144,000. They're standing with Jesus on Mount Zion. I mean, it's almost like they're his really large group of best friends, okay? Like, these are special dudes, okay? This is a really important group. They're going to be for his purposes. They're going to stand with him for what he stands for. They're going to be all about the calling of the Lord at the end of the age. They're given a great place of uh, prominence. This, uh, this standing with him. Just get this picture, and we'll, we'll break down Mount Zion a little bit later in this session. But they're standing with him. So it's like, okay, there's Jesus. Who's that with him? 
Is that the 144,000? I'll be darned. It's the 144,000. What are they doing? They're standing with them. There's this place of prominence. There's this, it's like a spotlight put on them. They are given special privilege. Now, we don't know all of what that entails, but we're for sure supposed to see them standing with them on Mount Zion and understand there's something unique going on here. These guys were called up to stand with him. This is, this is an important detail. They have the Father's name written on them and Jesus' name as well. It's written on their forehead and it's visible. John's able to see it. John's looking at this 144,000. You just imagine him going, who the heck are they? And he looks, he's like, I'll be darned. They got some names on their forehead. It's a lamb. You got the father's name on their forehead. He's able to see it. It's visible. It's not some spiritual thing. He can see this. These guys are marked. These guys are a set apart crew for Jesus. This is his special forces or something. Okay. I mean, this is a very unique group that is highlighted it says this, they'll sing a secret new song that only they can learn. What does that even mean, only they can learn? That's the quote, only they can learn it. Does that mean the rest of us aren't smart enough? Does that mean the rest of us aren't, aren't taught the secret handshake? I don't know. It just says really clearly, no one else can learn this song except that 144,000. No one. Doesn't matter who you are. No one can learn it. So you got this group of 144,000 and they're singing a secret song. And nobody else knows the song and nobody can learn the song, but they sure are singing it. They're singing a song. I mean, that's just mysterious. But I will say this, just as a point of reference, we know that when we sing songs on this stage, we do warfare. We know that. This is the house of prayer. We, we have a revelation that things occur in this room that are infinitely bigger than our weak voices. We are releasing things. We are changing atmospheres. We are releasing angels and binding demons by songs. There will be a special anointed song given to the 144,000 for that moment in history. It's been waiting from before there were human beings. This song is waiting to be sung, waiting to be learned to then be sung by this 144,000. When they sing it, it will release things. We can be confident. Next, they're worship leaders. It's not just that they sing. It's that either they play musical instruments. It doesn't say that explicitly. Either they play musical instruments or when they sing, others do. In either case, that's a worship leader. When you start singing and music comes along with it, you are not just a singer. You're not just a song learner. You're a worship leader. Now again, whether they're holding the instruments or the instruments are coming from others, it says very clearly, I heard the sound from heaven, the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. But then it says, the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. There's this melodious quality to it. There's the sound, but it accompanies the song. Go look at the, the passage, uh, the verse you know, layout there of Revelation 14, 2 and 3. 
The song is accompanied by worship music. But, I mean, that's what we would want, right? I mean, if we got a vote, that's how we would want it. Well, I guess they want it that way too, and so does Jesus. Because when they sing the new song, it's the sound of harps playing in some sort of melody that's awesome and, and it, it powerful, okay? And again, John picked those words specifically, the sound of harps. He didn't just say loud peals of thunder that sounded like thunder. He said, I heard when they were singing, I heard harp sounds, I heard, I heard music. It wasn't just crashes and thunder and lightning. I heard music that accompanied it. Well, this group of 144,000 is another uh, interesting part of their calling. They will be martyred. Remember I told you before that none of the judgments and the plagues and stuff can get them? Yeah, they, they won't die that way because they've all got a destiny. They are going to be faithful witnesses for the Lamb, and all 144,000 are going to be martyred. They're going to be martyred for Jesus in the end times. Look at this. I'll give you a few uh, components here of the, the verses about them. 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Not who had been salvation redeemed. That's, that's not the picture here. It says they'd been redeemed from the earth. They'd been taken from the earth. They were redeemed from it. Also, they were purchased from among mankind. And lastly, if you needed it, then they were offered as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Those are all martyred languages, uh, uh, verses or uh, phrases. Those are all phrases that get you understanding what's happening here. <clears throat> they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. Now, this isn't specifically about the 144,000. I'm taking this from Revelation 12. But I want you to kind of get the picture of what's going on here. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. 144,000 uh, in 14.1. I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him the 144,000. Now, part of the reason I, I want to bring up this Mount Zion verse again is it's very clearly not talking about physical Mount Zion at this point. It's talking about the earthly Jerusalem, or the heavenly Jerusalem. It's talking about Mount Zion in heaven. How do we know? Because at this point, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Jesus has not returned to the earth at this point in the, uh, in the chronology of events. This is a, the time period where you've got Jesus possibly about to come back, but he hasn't yet. And it says that, he, that they're, they're looking and they're seeing in heaven, uh, John's seeing this vision in heaven, and he's seeing the 144,000, and he's hearing the sounds of heaven. He's looking at them. This 144,000, they're not standing with Jesus on Mount Zion after the second coming procession. They're standing on earth. They're standing with Jesus on Mount Zion in the heavenly Jerusalem, in, in heaven. They're standing with him there, and John is seeing this picture because that's where this whole vision is taking place. All right, let's keep moving. They remain faithful until the end. This is, these are just phrases straight out of uh, Revelation um, 14 about the uh, 144,000. <coughs> Starting uh, top of page six, they live sexually pure. In the most defiled, sexually confused, and entangled generation in human history, the 144,000 somehow remain pure. No, no, we need to think about that for a second. They remain pure in the most defiled generation in the history of ever. This is a really big deal. These are those 
who did not defile themselves with women. They've remained pure. Then it says, also, they remained virgins. That's another really key phrase about who they are and their background. I'm just imagining, what was their upbringing in the most defiled generation ever? What kind of upbringing did they have that they remained pure and remained virgins? How did that happen? I mean, there's a lot of grace of God, protective graces, teachings they must have had, communities they grew up. Something is very unique about this group because that is a phenomenal thought process in the most defiled generation in human history that you'd have this 144,000 that says, not only does it say they were pure and you go, okay, well, but if you come to Christ, you're pure. Great. But that doesn't make you remain a virgin. (laughs) That's a different detail. (laughs) And they had been that way. They are and have been. That's a This is part of their calling and destiny, and this speaks volumes that I honestly don't have the insight on. This speaks volumes about who they are before they get saved. That that phrase tells you a lot, because that's very unusual. You know the, uh, the term, it shows up in some of our worship songs. It's something that we all really want in our hearts, that we would follow the lamb wherever he goes. Do you know that phrase, follow the lamb wherever he goes? It's only in the Bible one time written that way. And it's about the 144,000. The 144,000 Jews are the epitome. They're the ones that follow the lamb wherever he goes. So whenever we're like, we're using it in devotional language, we're going, oh God, I want to be one that will follow you wherever you go. We're actually saying, make me like the 144,000. I mean, this is, this is profound because this means... This is like devotional life, this is obedience, this is faithfulness, this is calling, this is destiny, this is forerunner lifestyle. I mean, when we say that phrase, just so we know, we're straight up stealing it to make it our own from the 144,000 Jews at the end of the age, because that's the context. So when we use that phrase, and we should, the whole Bible is on limits, for us to use in our prayer life and seek God and grow in godliness, all of it. But let's just make sure we understand the context of who it is that we're talking about is actually the 144,000. They were purchased from among man. They were sought out with divine purpose. They were purchased from among man, men, from among mankind. <clears throat> they were offered as the first fruits. That language is specifically aimed right at Jesus Christ. Jesus, I gave you the verse there, bottom of page six, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is called the first fruits, the first fruits. So he's, this is specifically talking about, you know, the resurrection. It's talking about, you know, those that have uh, died, those that are, that are lifted up to God, uh, that whole concept. Well, it says of the, of the 144,000, they were offered as first fruits to God and to the lamb. So you've got Jesus as the first fruits of all humanity, the 144,000 as the first fruits in, in the end time drama, at least of the Jews, if not of the entire uh, great multitude that we see. Now, one thing that's not particularly clear, and I don't, I don't really know how this works, do, does this 144,000 operate like a group? 
Or do they operate as 144,000 individuals unrelated to each other? Do they, do they have a Facebook page? Do they, you know, do they do flash mobs? It's like, hey, let's all be at the thing tomorrow. We don't know if they're operating together in, in natural, uh, organized ways, though it seems likely there'll have to be at least some measure of that. Uh, that just, that's my opinion. We don't know. But what we do know is that they have corporate destiny. I don't necessarily think they all die the same day. I, that could happen. Maybe they do that flash mob thing in front of the Antichrist and you just, boom. Who, who knows? That, that could be. But, uh, but whether they, that's how it goes or not, there's, just, there's this interconnectivity of this 144,000 in destiny and purpose in the way God uses them. They are truthful witnesses. Revelation 14, 5. This is a beautiful line that I think we've already established well, uh, Revelation 14.5 also says they are blameless. But then it says no lie was found in their mouths. Well, n being blameless would also include them not being liars. So what is this phrase supposed to mean to us that's different? It says no lie was found in their mouths. I actually think it's, it's the testimony that they are witnesses. That they are trustworthy. In that hour, there will be many false Christs, many false prophets, many false ministers, not so of this 145,000. No lie is in their mouths. I think it's actually speaking that they will speak accurately, truthfully about Jesus, about God, about eternity. This is part of the testimony of who they are. They are witnesses in whom there is no lie. They are witnesses for Jesus. Well, I'll uh, end with this, give you guys a couple minutes on this, and then you can break up into groups for discussion. The activity of the 144,000. Now, I, I want to go real clear on this. This is speculation. What I'm about to say is speculation. But I want to tell you why I think it's still helpful. Uh, I'm going to give you some made-up details that may or may not be accurate about for sure events. For sure things. A couple of things that we know as groundwork. They are going to be alive during the end times. Well, there are certain things that happen during the end times, and they are going to be alive for those certain things. So they will be impacted. They will interact with. They will be geographically doing something, physically accomplishing certain tasks during those things. What will they be doing? We don't know that. But I want to speculate and give you some ideas for the following purpose. If I'm wrong about these points, so what? My point isn't to be right about what they're doing when these things are happening, it's to get you thinking about them as humans. To imagine them doing something when that's happening. Being somewhere when that's going on. Responding somehow when these events are unfolding. So if I'm wrong about the way, who cares? I'm not trying to be right. <laughs> I'm just trying to get us understanding when we think about the end time drama, don't forget the 144,000 Jews doing something, being somewhere, part of God's plan, part of his you know, secret service, part of those that are singing these song, this song and doing stuff. All right, so with that, during the first three and a half years, they're gonna be somewhere. Now, the, when I say the first three and a half years, we're talking about the seven-year tribulation period. It's seven years. The second three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. That's when all the judgments are happening. That's when the Antichrist is, you know, piping hot mad. That's the second three and a half years. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about the first three and a half years. They're alive. 
This 144,000 is doing something. And I just have a sneaking suspicion that the Holy Spirit will be preparing them in some ways for that next three and a half years. So I'm imagining this 144,000 that will be alive, eating food, doing stuff, going to work, doing whatever they do. I'm imagining the Holy Spirit is prepping them, readying them, that there's signs, there's things, there's softening of the heart, there's awakening. I'm just imagining the Holy Spirit is, man, you want to know one of those guys in that hour, because I just think the Lord's going to just be on their life. I think there's going to be things happening, preparing them. Next, when the events of the Great Tribulation unfold, the 144,000 are going to be on the planet, at least at the beginning. We don't know at what point are they redeemed from the earth. We don't know at what point are they martyred, are they offered as first fruits. We don't know when that moment occurs, but we know that they start off in the Great Tribulation because they give their lives to the Lord in it, and then they come up out of it, okay? So at some point, they're walking around, they're experiencing this 144,000, they're sealed so that many of the bad things aren't happening to them, but they're watching them. They're there. They're a around for them. <clears throat> when Israel is in the wilderness, we talked about that a couple of sessions ago, God bringing Israel into the desert and protecting them, much like he did in the first exodus. The end times is Israel's second exodus. In the first Exodus, marked out in Exodus chapter 1 through, well, really the whole thing, but uh, 1 through 14 was their uh, kind of their exit from Egypt. In the initial Exodus, <clears throat> when God you know, brought Israel out into uh, the wilderness, he was protecting them, he was, uh, he was doing things. Well, in this end time drama, when God does that, it's mostly to convince them that he is Jehovah God, that Jesus is the Messiah. They, he's he's re pulling Israel out into the desert to protect them physically so that they're not martyred, they're not killed, they're not you know, caught up in the judgments, they don't wind up giving themselves to the Antichrist. He takes them out into the desert, but during that time period, the 144,000 will be alive, doing stuff. And I don't think that they will be with that group because their purpose is so different from that group's purpose. That group's purpose is, oh my gosh, it's God of the Bible. He's doing what he said. He's fulfilling every promise he ever spoke. The 144,000, they're already on board. They've already given their lives to Jesus. They are already following the lamb wherever he goes. They, there's no question. Their hearts are committed. They're dying as martyrs. It's a completely different context of what's happening to 144,000 and what's happening to the group of Israel in the desert. So where are they? I don't know but I don't think they're in the desert. Lastly, and then we'll break up into groups, when Israel is fleeing persecution, really interesting. You've got this group of Jews that is gonna be fleeing the Antichrist, fleeing oppression, fleeing all that. They're trying to escape. Jesus, even himself, he said, flee. He said, when, when these things happen, run away and woe to you if you happen to be pregnant at that time because it's gonna be really hard on you. you be trying to run away with a baby on board. He says, this is going to be tough. He says that to the Jews. This 144,000, their destiny is martyrdom. They're not running away. They're bold witnesses. I imagine them in some version of the boldness of the two witnesses. I imagine them as those that they do not love their lives even unto death. Those, these 144,000, they are the witnesses of Israel. This 144,000 is the proof that Jews love Jesus, that God's faithfulness is to the apple of his eye, to his people. 
This group of Jews, they're all stars. They're not running away in fear, while the rest of Israel will be running away in fear because the Antichrist will be too powerful for them. So you've got these interesting, you know, pivot points. Okay, let's break up into groups for discussion. Luke, how many groups we got tonight? Four groups of eight to nine. And if you're a group leader, go ahead and put your hand in the air. All right, so Andy's going to be over here in the back. All right, Luke Fredenberg's over here. Hey, Luke Cooper, can I get you over here? All right, and then uh, Christy's right there. Uh, no, Caitlin. Caitlin's right there. So get into groups of eight or nine, move the chairs around. Let's have a discussion, and we'll regroup here in a little bit. Okay, let me get your attention. We'll transition now to our time of questions from each of the groups. Um, I'll uh, repeat these questions so that those that are listening uh, online and those that listen to this later can hear your question. Um, so uh, let's start over here with Caitlin. Yeah, great question. So uh, the, the question is uh, related to the sealing of the servants of God. <clears throat> uh, we've already talked about the whole church, whether Jew or Gentile, getting uh, the, the sealing of, uh, of God and so is this a different ceiling? No, I think this is evidence that this 144,000 just got saved. I think that's part of what's happening here because right now there are already Jews on the earth that love Jesus. Praise the Lord for every Jew that loves Jesus. Though it is a small number. So I think what's happening here is actually there's 144,000 that are in this moment. And when I say moment, I don't know. I don't have the, the timing exact. But in that in that moment in that hour in that time frame that 144,000 are giving their lives to the Lord so it's not that there's only 144,000 Jews that love Jesus this is an additional 144,000 Jews that will come to love Jesus and then they will follow the lamb wherever he goes and so it's the same seal the question is, is this a different sealing no it's the same seal as what we see uh, for the church in Revelation chapter 7 it's just that a minute ago they weren't part of the club and now they've given their lives to Jesus, and they are sealed. This 145,000 is now sealed in, uh, in, in that uh, time period. But it's different. This is a different group than the group of Jews that loved Jesus, you know, a year before. And it's different still than the group of Jews that are out in the wilderness that are trying to figure things out and going, who is, what is happening right now? So I, I will say this. We've, we've looked at it a little bit. We spent uh, part of a session talking about it. I think one of the more fascinating subjects, uh, it's not, you know, maybe the top of the list, but it's on the list. One of the more fascinating subjects of the end times is how many different groups of Jews there are at the end of the age. <laughs> I mean, they're all Jews by blood, but I mean, as far as like, this group is in prison camps. This group is being protected by God in the desert. This group, the 144,000, they just got saved. This group was saved for decades before. You know, Asher and Trader, I promise you, the dude knows the Lord. That's like, he's not going to get saved and become 144,000 at the end of this thing. You got all these different groups of, of Jews and the way that they're going to interact with each other and with the loss and just all this stuff. So I think it's a fascinating subject and it is nuanced. So it's okay to have questions and be a little... Like, huh? What? So, uh, great question. All right, Andy. So the question is, the 144,000, they, they, uh, they remain pure in the most wicked generation. And, uh, you know, we can already see the signs are clear at this hour that sexual immorality is only going to continue to get crazier and crazier. That, that is not going to slow down. That snowball is picking up steam. 
So what does it mean that these 144,000 have remained pure? What does that look like? And the question was, you know, is that because potentially because of their strict Jewish upbringing, Hasidic, you know, Jewish upbringing? Maybe. I, I think that would be the most obvious uh, uh, solution. And I, I honestly think that it, that's even, in my opinion, I think that scenario is so Jesus getting Nicodemus you know, kind of thing. I just think it's so beautiful. If that's the way that that goes, if that 144,000, they are raised in Jewish households that know they are Jewish and they are pursuing Jehovah, but not Jesus. It makes the most sense to me that that would be the group that this 144,000 come from. Also, because of the point that I brought up earlier about how do they know the lineage and all this stuff? Well, if you're a Hasidic Jew raised, you know, you know who you are, where you come from. And it would also make sense that that, that the, the revelation of Jews being Jewish and that being unique and special and important to God, that as we near God's end times, because the end times belong to God, they don't belong to the devil, that as we near God's end time plan, that there would be a growing revelation of, I'm Jewish, that makes me special. I'm Jewish, oh my gosh, that matters. So it, it, mokes, it makes the most sense to me that they would be those that are raised in uh, strict uh, uh, Jewish households, though they don't honor Jesus, they do honor Jehovah. That makes the most sense to me. Um, but you, we don't know. Uh, so maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's other ways that that could go. Uh, there is a bit of mystery here <laughs> on who this 144,000 is. With as much detail as we have, there's as many or more details missing. Um, okay, uh, question over here. So the question is related to the term blameless. Are they blameless because they have lived that way all their lives or are they blameless because they got saved and they're washed by the blood of the lamb? There is no one good, no, not one. So there is 0% chance they lived blameless, uh, you know, all their days in the, in the technical rigid sense of they have never done anything wrong ever. However, those of us who are in Christ, who've been washed by the blood of the lamb, we're blameless in his sight. And we're, we then, we get the substitutionary righteousness. So it's, it's very clear that they have given their lives to Jesus and that's what made them blameless because there's no other version. There's only one who's done it and he's the one that gets to save everybody else, Jesus. So great question. Uh, over here. Um, okay, so this first, let's do a little adjustment. The sealing of God doesn't happen at the seventh seal or whatever. The sealing of God is occurring, I believe, probably at the very beginning of the Great Tribulation. And that they're, that they're sealed and that that's then sealing them you know, throughout you know, the, the, the entirety of the, the Great Tribulation period. Now, the question that you're asking um, is specific to, okay, so if they're first fruits, first fruits of what, uh, how does that work? I don't know, I just, I like that passage that I gave you. Um, let's find that, whatever page that was on, um, of Jesus being the first fruit. Uh, the page six, it was the first Corinthians like 15, wasn't it? Or something, page six, yeah. First Corinthians 15, 20 through 24. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, 
then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, uh, the, the kingdom to God the Father as he destroys all dominion, authority, and power. So this is talking about this mystery of the first fruits. Here's the interesting thing, though. Um, Jesus, it's the talking about this subject of uh, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. This first fruit, um, there's two likenings happening here in this passage and the one that we were reading about in uh, Revelation 7 uh, related to the, uh, the uh, Revelation 14 related to the 144,000. There's two, two parallels. First is the likening to Christ's martyrdom. And second is the likening to Christ's resurrection. And so, uh, you know, right now we're promised this glorious inheritance of a resurrected body. Um, and so that's like one of the promises for, you know, the, the redeemed. So the question is, is it a first fruit that they were martyred or a first fruit of their resurrected body? I, it's probably both. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's probably that they wind up getting martyred early in this scenario and, you know, early enough that, you know, they can be those first fruits. And then second, the, but not killed by judgments, okay? Uh, and then second, that they receive the resurrected body in some version of like first. You know, what we do know is in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the dead in Christ rise first and then everybody else is, who's here gets a resurrected body. But he doesn't make any more distinction if there might even be subgroups within who gets raised first of those that were buried, of those who were dead. And it, 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 the argument could be made that this group is the group that gets raised first. Uh, one of the things that I think is also a, a first fruits scenario, their martyrdom, it says that they follow the lamb wherever he goes. I just want you to imagine Jesus like in the, in the, uh, the pep rally before the football game, okay? And it's Jesus watching the tribulation happening and he's all pumped, He's all excited because he's about to come do the thing that he's been, he, he's been wanting to do. He's going to come get his bride. He's going to come judge the earth. He's going to get to do all the stuff that he's doing. I imagine him like doing stuff, going places and doing things in heaven. And the, these, these that have been martyred, even following him wherever he goes, because they're, they're seen as in uh, Mount Zion, they're seen following him. Well, what's he doing? I, I'm just going to say this. It doesn't say it explicitly, so if you like, Brad, I don't agree. Okay, don't agree. One thing that we do know, all the armies of heaven are coming, and Jesus is the general. So just like five minutes before, he just whistles and everybody shows up? Or is there not probably some amassing and gathering and preparation of troops in order to come out of heaven and take over the planet? I imagine that there's probably some amassing going on and that that takes some time. There's some staging. He's a general about to come take over the planet. I'm imagining this 144,000 is with him, even wherever he's going, whatever he's doing, you know, up there and getting ready and, and getting things in position. So all of that speculation, we don't know. They're called the first fruits. I think there's a lot of verses there that you can kind of pray on, think on, and try to meditate and get some uh, greater clarity. So, um, yeah, I don't want to be dogmatic when the Bible doesn't seem clear to me yet, or if it is, it's not clear to me. So, uh, worship leader, come on up. Father, we just thank you so much for the word and that it's alive and beautiful. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, 
please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.